Welcome back to episode 66 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen the series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I give my overall opinion on the series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Fire Force. Season 1 was released in 2019 by Studio David Productions. It has 24 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the series in sub. The world has changed, people are spontaneously exploding into burning creatures losing all sense of themselves. These victims of the flames known as Infernals have sparked the creation of a special fire force, designed to manage the effects of human combustion while searching for a cure. Shimra Kusakabe, after graduating from the training academy, is deployed to the newly founded Station 8. Shinra has a depressing past with fire and has chosen to use his powers to protect others. Shinra on his first day reporting for duty is awaiting a train when an infernal appears on the platform. The company to which he is assigned immediately responds to this call. A light fixture damaged by fire comes swinging down nearly hitting Iris before Shinra throws on the blaster boots and moves her out of harm's way. He can't do much better than that at making a first impression on a new boss and co-workers. It's been a while but I always drone on about hating multiple convenient circumstances to produce a plot point. This time I didn't care because the camera angles and sound design added to this sequence overtook the absurd amount of luck it would take for that save to be possible. Now awesome as that moment was, I would be lying if I didn't say my first reaction to Shinra's power being fired from his feet was how far can that be taken? Oh my uncreative narrow mind was in for quite the surprise with how dynamic Shinra could be with his flames. When he fought Joker during the rookie showcase, I was blown away. I had seen Zuko from Avatar do a little breakdance firebending, but Shinra was insane with it. He was like Eddie Gordo from Tekken with rockets strapped around his ankles. Another thought I had was Shinra must destroy a mad amount of shoes and pants activating his feet. I'd be pissed having to go around barefoot all the time. Luckily Maki made some alterations to his pants, hemmed them up to make capris for men. A devil and a knight cross paths in a church? It sounds like a bad joke. Arthur is another rookie assigned to Station 8 who was Shinra's rival at the academy. Usually I'd call Arthur a nutbar for his delusions of being a knight, but I have to admire the dedication of sticking to his crazy. Arthur's power is to produce concentrated plasma into the form of a blade. I felt Arthur would be limited in fights with what I had seen from Shinra's spinning moves and McKee's control over flames. Getting to the battle was the only area Arthur falls short, and when needed he rides Shinra like a noble steed. I was confused why Arthur carries a scabbard. Tucking the entire thing under his coat was ridiculous. Wouldn't it be easier to just carry the hilt seeing as it's activated like a lightsaber? The only reason I could think to have both pieces is for aesthetic purposes, but the scabbard looks whack. It resembles something made from a cardboard roll found inside wrapping paper. I like the junkyard scrap metal handle Vulcan made way more than the regular hilt. Arthur is an idiot in many regards, but the biggest example is when he's having trouble fighting Mr. Conehead in the fist compound. Arthur struggled before noticing his sword is in the wrong hand, It should be second nature and muscle memory to automatically use the proper side. I don't get how someone wouldn't be aware of not using their dominant hand. After Arthur corrected that error, the murderous infernal was charging an attack from their arm stub. It reminded me of one of those push-in lighters you find in cars. Arthur and Shinra's rivalry was fun. They'd compete in everything from who could eat the fastest to speed chopping vegetables. Working together to solve the insect infernal mystery was good team building. With the steps being made pushing them to become friendly, this line went completely over my head until a second viewing. Shinra said Arthur's wound was unfortunately not as deep as he imagined after being sliced across the chest by Sho. 
At first glance, I thought he was saying thankfully it wasn't that bad, but he really meant he was disappointed Arthur wasn't more jacked up. Now these guys needed a win when it came to fighting side by side. They weren't exactly teamed up against Joker, but they barely made it out of the rookie evaluation building alive. McKee wrecked them both in training, and Captain Burns didn't even try while sparring the two. They were too busy bumping into each other to be effective against the white-clad arrow and bug-eating assassin. Benny Maru had to step in and save their asses. Then Benny whips these fools while training. It was getting sad. I love McKee. She is a hopeless romantic pestering Iris about what it felt like to be saved by Shinra, and she damn near melts when asked if she's a princess by Arthur. McKee could have any guy if she wasn't so aggressive and got her hearing checked. She assumes people are calling her Cyclops Gorilla far too often. McKee suffers from self-fulfilling prophecy. She believes guys find her muscular frame and assertiveness undesirable, making her more aggressive. Which in turn scares boys off, thus creating confirmation bias. If McKee just chilled, guys would line up to get a date with her. Watching McKee work over both Shinra and Arthur was awesome. I never thought about how her power could just shut off Shinra's feet. Then she pieced them up in hand-to-hand combat. It wasn't even fair. Lieutenant Hinawa is a hard ass and I love it. Rewatching a series, you get to see things you may have missed or didn't fully understand the first time. During Station 8's introduction, Hinawa realizes Shinra is their new recruit and still tosses him aside when dealing with the Infernal by the train. Everyone is nervous around the lieutenant because of how strict he can be. Look how pleased McKee was to hear Hinawa had something positive to say about her in the military before the creation of Station 8. That's how little praise he shows his underlings. The training he puts his recruits through is so taxing that Hibana's heatwave attack was broken by Shinra because it paled in comparison to the lieutenant's everyday methods. When I saw the lieutenant pull out a gun and fire regular bullets against the Infernal in the factory, I was disappointed. I had the same assumptions about him as I did Arthur, his abilities wouldn't hold up to the big fire users. I was dead wrong. Hinawa's control over explosions influences the speed and trajectory of his bullets. Watching him wreck the bubblegum-chewing twat that was talking all that good shit about Captain Obi was awesome, and seeing him shoot people at point-blank range without killing them was a trip. Captain Obi is always on his grind, even in casual conversation he is exercising or eating. My man is dedicated to the gains, but you would have to be with all the equipment he carries. Bringing me to the subject of uniforms. I initially didn't like the oversized rain jackets, pants, and hats. Captain Obi is already dragging around tons of gear, and the clunky clothes look like they would restrict movement. As the series progressed, they bothered me less, and I ended up liking the outfits. I thought it was interesting to have someone in command without pyrokinetic powers. It added an entire new layer to Captain Obi. It would take a knowledgeable leader to understand everyone's strengths and direct them to success in normal circumstances. Imagine making calls on what a person is best suited for when you don't know what it's like to have fire. It's comparable to someone who has never held a gun instructing a firearms course. Sure, you can read a book and become familiar with the material, but nothing beats first-hand experience. Something else that I felt made Captain Obi a great leader is where most would snicker at Shinra's desire to be a hero, Captain Obi encourages it. Don't get me wrong, he clearly lays out the team comes before the individual so they don't need a lone wolf in the 8th, but the captain motivates Shinra by reminding him of his hero aspirations. Aside from bonus episodes, I review series in the order I've watched them. Fire Force was actually a show I started much earlier than the spot is being presented. I was going through Fire Force as it aired and got fed up waiting for weekly drops. I made it to episode 8 before deciding to move on to another series until the full 24 episodes were available. What can I say, I'm a product of the binge-watching era. It took me a while to get back to finishing Fire Force, but there was a positive to holding off. My boy Blase happened to be watching Fire Force and Dub when I got back into it, so we could shoot the shit about where we thought the story was going. 
I've mentioned before me and Blase either completely agree on a series or have wildly opposing views. We both really enjoyed Fire Force. With that being said, Fire Force was a roller coaster for me. It had its highs, but it also had dips. There would be an arc I really enjoyed, followed by a storyline I could have done without. The first few episodes were great, all the characters were interesting, and the powers are explained well. The rookies come to realize the job isn't all speeding in the truck and big fights, there is a mountain of paperwork to accompany it. Shinra and Arthur are trained on what Infernals are and how to properly deal with them. One scene that was very powerful is when the boys take out their weapons in view of the public after being told not to. Easily putting down the Infernal who calmly sat at their kitchen table is a rarity, the one faced in the warehouse that destroyed property and harmed Shinra are much more common. Regardless of the destruction they bring, Infernals were human. It's somebody's loved one who deserves to be laid to rest in a respectful manner. Keeping the process and weapons behind closed doors to the best of their abilities allows Station 8 to do that. The next cluster of episodes I didn't really enjoy. Hibana is a savage, she uses her recruits as a chair and walks along them like a rug. She has a dominatrix personality and her constant barking about gravel was over the top. I didn't like Hibana's company pinning Shinra down while trying to steal the serial killer Infernal who somehow remains sensical. He was annoying and a mass murderer so I had no sympathy, but I didn't think Hibana's experiments were for any research purpose, it was plain torture. Shout out to Shinra for equal rights equal fights, he cracked Hibana with a good shot. This causes her to flip and start playing nice with Station 8. For the rest of the season, Hibana didn't do much. The height of her involvement was during the workshop episode, she cleared the mirages before being taken out by a stuffed animal. It was weird making her an ally when she has no significant part in future situations. I really didn't get anything from her episodes, little Iris was adorable but her history with Havana was given too early. I wasn't invested in either character enough to care about their past. The next few episodes were a mixed bag, it started off very unrealistic to me. Shinra and Arthur are firefighters not cops but they're going undercover to spy on the first. Maybe I'm wrong and this could be a real thing, but recruits that just got placed in their district I doubt would be given spots in other stations immediately after settling into their own. Tamaki is also a new recruit assigned to Fire Station 1, who is loaned out to Station 8 after some unfortunate circumstances. Rekka absolutely beat the brakes off of her, which was tough to watch. Shinra had to come crashing in from the sky in full demon form to stop that beatdown. I don't think Tamaki is a bad character, she was just poorly handled in my opinion. The series failed her in three major ways. She has to be a complete moron to not see the shadiness of what Rekka was doing. I can picture him explaining it to her. Hey Tamaki, go round me up some kids off the streets and bring them to an abandoned warehouse so I can give them the cure to human combustion. What's that you ask? Why don't we publicly advertise the treatment and provide it out of the firehouse? Well, people would fight over the cure and we need parental consent for the kids. Plus, if we do it this way, we're hitting our community service quotas so it's killing two birds with one stone. More like one old lady with a single fire fist. I don't care how much Tamaki trusts Rekka, I find it impossible to believe she could be that stupid. Secondly, Tamaki was a damsel in distress who never had a moment to break that pattern and shine. She did more fighting in the opening credits than the entire season. Her cat power looked cool and with how inventive this series was in combat, I was excited to see what she could do. Unfortunately, no opportunity was seized to have Tamaki do anything useful. Captain Obi had no powers but got two really big moments to showcase his abilities that will be discussed later. I wish Tamaki could have gotten the same. Lastly, Tamaki was used as uncreative fan service. Shinra and her would unnaturally collide and end up in provocative positions. I hated when it would interrupt a fight like Shinra against Rekka or Tamaki vs the white clad member. And if her top was constantly coming untied and pants always falling down, why not buy a shirt and belt to solve those issues?
While this next storyline wasn't bad, it certainly wasn't my favorite. I like Benny Myro's attitude and kicking his feet up on the church pew was tough. When you're the strongest, who's going to question you? Benny Myro's episodes focused on him being a leader and accepting that role. It was a tough road to get there because he is a goon. He destroys multiple city blocks for one infernal and fell for doubles impersonating Station 8. Come on, Benny, who would loudly boast about creating infernals after asking you to meet them at that location? I said Captain Obi was going to show his strength and this was the first instance. He looks so sad when he missed the raid on the 5th, so now he wants all the smoke, no pun intended. Captain Obi is certainly a tank build, standing toe-to-toe against the strongest fire soldier with both 2nd and 3rd generation abilities. The captain's equipment was cool from the steel shield to extinguishing grenades. With all of these gadgets, I found it funny the hit he landed was a basic headbutt. I really didn't like Benny Myro's fighting mops or him flying around on them like a wizard, and the big aerial fight was nothing special It could have been more creative. The Infernal is drilled in the chest and flies up. His arms are completely free, he could have at the very least swatted at Benny. Instead he just accepts his fate of being driven into the atmosphere. I also didn't buy Shinra reaching the fire arrow shot at Benny. If you take into consideration when the arrow was released, followed by everything that happens before Shinra takes off, I just don't feel he'd catch up based off the proportions set by the series. Early in the season, Captain Obi touched on needing an engineer, which brings us to Vulcan. Again, this was a side story I could have done without. The plush animals being dropped by random buttons was stupid, and so was the throwing of soda cans. It was obvious Amaterasu's key was hidden in the projection sphere Vulcan's father and grandfather worked on. How convenient was it for Dr. Giovanni to find the key in the first place he looks, and it wasn't broken when he smashed the device? There were only two good moments in these episodes. One is Arthur's illusion being destroyed when realizing how ridiculous he looks wearing the crotch donkey. The second is Lisa being a double agent the entire time. After the flashback of being homeless in the car, then living with you and Vulcan for so long, the fact she didn't stay by Vulcan's side was wild to me, and she didn't even flinch after Dr. Longnose shot you. Plus, I'm not sure if they are tattoos, but she got the ring marks on her body, that's dedication to a role. It was a real shame too, because Lisa had that thickness, she could have been waifu material. Learning about Shinra's past and why he creepily smiles was sad, but the second they mentioned his brother's bones were burned to ash leaving no remains, I instantly knew Sho was still alive. When Shinra first came across Sho, I had many issues with it. He immediately knew it was his brother. He hadn't seen the guy in 12 years and just assumes it's Sho. Secondly, Shinra called him handsome when he clearly isn't. Sho is a creepy looking freak with pale skin and white hair. Lastly, if the Evangelist is going to kidnap a child, why not change their name? When Sho was introduced, both his first and last name remained the same. The ending arc was fantastic. When Station 8 was walking together along the train tracks, I thought sticking so close with no real formation was dumb, then the smoke blew in and split the crew. Poor McKee was left alone after the separation, but she came through with her new flying hammers to scrap. McKee wrecked six so-called combat experts on her own, she didn't even get touched. Iris was more screwed than anyone in the nether. The only thing worse than getting stuck with Tamaki is dealing with two of her. As I mentioned earlier, Tamaki does nothing in combat this season. She was used once again as a human punching bag before fan service was thrown in to distract her opponent. With the flashback of Tamaki agreeing to come on this mission and how she too is a fire soldier, they still snubbed her in the end with Iris delivering the finishing blow. And are we not going to acknowledge how a nun murdered a man with a pipe? Lieutenant Hinawa's fight was straight out of a video game. Abandoned subway level hiding in the cars or behind pillars. Complete with a cutscene where he talks to the enemy while patching himself up. He even switched weapons like a video game, going from pistol to shotgun to rifle out of nowhere. 
Hinawa's final gun being so powerful it blows apart the barrel was deadly, what a cool thought to have to switch a gun piece after every shot. And using Arrow's own flame against her propelling his bullet further was so cool this fight was awesome. When Hinoa looks done he flicked the bullet through Mirage's head but it turned out to be a clone, just for the ceiling to be his actual target getting Arthur in the fight. I was an episode or two ahead of my boy Blase but had to show him that scene right away it was too good. It was nice to see Arthur's training paid off not reacting to every feint. He knows when an actual attack is coming now. The only complaint I have is the whole samurai knight thing needed to go. Pick one and stick with it, my guy. Now Captain Obi is hilarious. He fights superpowered creatures like Lava Squid Lisa with a common fire extinguisher. When it looks like he's just surviving, he's actually implanting suppression grenades on each tentacle. I knew the captain was going to pull the I'm not telling you back on Giovanni after being shot, but Vulcan ruins it by saying it's a protective plate. Way to undermine the captain's moment. The best part of this fight is Captain Obi ripping up the train tracks of his own strength. As cool as it was, the follow-up was terrible. This was going to be a nitpick but carried on so far it had to be included here. When Captain Obi first runs past Lisa and Vulcan, the track has 8 boards across it. Then when he and Giovanni lock up, it has 9 boards. When the two disengage, it only has 6. The next pulled back shot, Captain Obi is holding the track upright, nearly hitting the ceiling with 12 boards. He then raises it over his head and is back to 6, before implanting it into the ground where it grows back to 8. Not to mention the details of the tracks continue to change, I don't understand how the animation team screwed up so many times in a row. What can I say about the final battle? You don't talk ill of a guy's mother, especially when it's your mom too. The speed, choreography, and seeing Shinra's devil footprints flaming all over the room was awesome. Finishing off the fights, Captain Burns is an ass, but his fire engulfed body was sick looking. He challenges Shinra after he'd been passed out in a hospital for three days from having a sword in his chest. Way to get on a guy while he's down. The major problem with this series is it moves quickly with too many revelations. Sho isn't dead, the fire force is corrupt, some infernals are created, and Hajima is somehow connected. Amaterasu and his key are needed for some reason. Shinra has the unsullied flames, Adola Link, Adola Burst, the Evangelist is a major villain. Iris appears evil in Shinra's dream, what was that about? Shinra's mom was the demon he saw, now we need a way to turn an infernal back to a human. It was a lot. The training, rookie evaluation, and going on calls I feel should have been extended. At a certain point, Station 8 stops getting infernal alarms. They don't respond to fires and it's all fight the 5th, invade the 1st, help the 7th, get Vulcan to join the team, go attack the Whiteclad. I think the season should have focused on taking out random infernals, recruiting new members, and have finding show be the overall goal. End the season with the discovery infernals are created and Shinra's mother was the demon in the house fire. Let that lead into season 2. Where do Victor and Joker fit into everything? They possess a secret agenda which was not revealed, something I think was a good idea with how many other plot points are thrown in this season. Everyone has suspicions about Victor and Hibonistrate calls him a rat so I didn't see why they kept him around. Victor did his best to earn trust with the 8th but his creepiness shines through. This clown was eating food with tweezers instead of chopsticks. The backdrops especially the cities were beautiful and the smoke from fire was great. The characters themselves in medium to far shots lacked detail and Shinra's jagged teeth looked odd. This gave the appearance of lesser quality, but just like the special Fire Force uniforms, the visuals really grew on me. By the end, I considered the art style unique rather than poor if that makes sense. The opening's first theme, Inferno by Miss Greenapple, is dope. It was one of the earliest songs added to my anime playlist. Yusuke Kobayashi is not only Arthur's voice actor, but Subaru from ReZero. I had no idea these two were voiced by the same person. 
It's funny that Arthur is a confused, subtle moron while Subaru is a loudmouth idiot. Kazuya Nakai, the voice of Captain Nobi, was also Suguro in Blue Exorcist. These were another two characters I would have never known were voiced by the same person just by listening, but as soon as I saw the matching name, the voices clicked instantly. Now I just want to get into some highlights. I was confused why Arthur's cuts were so rigid when breaking through the fist wall during the compound raid, especially when we've seen him clean slice concrete before. Then they drive through the hole in the matchbox. Arthur was cutting around the vehicle's frame. That was an awesome detail to incorporate. The goofball with giant hands from the second who shot out fire missiles was awesome. It's just a shame he's a whiny scaredy cat. For those of you who follow my reviews, you know my favorite type of base is an abandoned church. Captain Obi knew what he was doing by converting a worn down place of worship into a fire station. Even if the stained glass windows have demons on the bottom. Ever since I was a kid, I've wanted Spider-Man web shooters for the sole purpose of attaching to a ceiling and pulling myself up from a lying or seated position out of sheer laziness. Dr. Giovanni does this with his grappling hand after Shinra knees him in the face and I was so jealous. I usually call really awesome scenes fire, but with how much I was going to say fire in this review, I refrained from using it as an adjective and it wasn't easy. Now let's get into some nitpicks. In the first episode while Shinra is having flashbacks to playing hero as a child, Everyone is standing around in a burning building waiting for him to attack the Infernal. The physics of Shinra's flying make no sense when traveling horizontally, especially when carrying Arthur. The first Iron Man movie clearly explained why hand stabilizers would be required. I didn't understand the mascot dogs, I found their scenes pointless. The serial killer Infernal not having the top of his head looked weird. After busting through the fist compound and wrecking all of her recruits, Shinra has the gall to say pardon the intrusion when entering Hibana's mansion. When Rekka as a last ditch effort to defeat Shinra starts swinging his arms in big circles, he looked like KSI boxing Logan Paul. Funny how Arthur is supposed to be the dense one, yet he sees through the fake twin smashing her with a flying knee. What does he get for his sharp eyes, Shinra kicking him in the sack eight times? The entire company got washed by Benny Maru in the time it took Captain Obi to get his gear on. The villains would have gotten away with their impersonation plan if they had stopped well ahead, but they exposed themselves by imitating the entire village. Benny, instead of ordering the people to evacuate, has the entire town pummel each other, which was another bonehead move. Iris fires off the elephant head from Vulcan's workshop, but it reappears in the next scene. Vulcan would have died with the amount of times he was struck by Giovanni's cane. When Victor got excited about Shinra's feet and went down to examine them, I wish he would have got a quick blast of fire to the face instead of Hibana cracking down on him with her heels. I hated Shinra's flame focus being dependent on hand signs especially when it's the look below the waistcoat punch symbol. When the 8th went underground to face the white clad, where was Hibana in the 5th, or even the 1st and the 7th? I get for story purposes having the 8th go solo to showcase skills, but in real life I'd gather every ally I had to face the Evangelist. Sho reaffirms my idea on capes, bad choice, Shinra wraps him up like it's nobody's business. Shinra finally got through to Sho just for his memory to be tampered with, He's going to have to win show over again next season. Quote of the series. There's nothing in this world that can't be fixed. So you's not going to die and I'll bring Lisa back around. I'll put the whole world back the way it was. I like Vulcan's optimism. Best girl waifu and harem. Best girl is Maki. She might be muscular, but she got them curves. Maki looked too sexy leaning in on Shinra and according to him, she smells nice. Lieutenant Hinawa stated Maki is an ex-soldier who knows how to destroy a man, there is something attractive about that. She was a monster in battle and the girl I would want Shamra to end up with. 
She is not a waifu, but Maki and Iris could definitely be in the harem. Final thoughts. I had my issues with the amount of different situations that arose in just one season, but the characters and powers made up for the multi-directional story. Fire Force was a good watch. I'd recommend you check it out for something different. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.